him, Joyce. <laughs> Happy birthday, man. Happy oh. birthday. It's the thank, big day. Thank you. It is It is a big day. And um, it's it's actually funny. So it's just me and my younger one here, right? Uh, for the first time, right. you know, Marina's in U.S. Uh, so, uh, and Adina is in school. But um, Shane was kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe you just skip it today or move it, right? Like I got a little surprise for you. So we're going to try to make this quicker than usual. So our guest is going to suffer a little bit. And you're the one that actually told me too, maybe we cancel, right? And, you know, no rest for the restless. And I think our millions of viewers and listeners, you know, expect it every Wednesday to come out. Yeah. So we need to stick to this, man. We need to stick to this. But I do have a yeah, whiskey if, ready. Ready, great. I got um, a little. <laughs> yeah. If we, um, if we save one, if we help one person get through a Wednesday, then we've done our job. And if it's just us, that's fine. So, uh, agreed. So this is, you know, this is me today. I'm, I'm 17. <laughs> That I, I like feel it, like, like it. it, I act like it. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what everybody tells me. And, and I try to bring me back to the. We, so we must have had a birthday. Did we, we? Did we have a birthday celebration for you last year? I mean, so this it, was during the. You know, but I. I don't think it would have fell on a Wednesday. So I need to look. But I'm. You know, I'm sure we had some sort of virtual drinks or something. I. You know, I'm getting. I'm getting old, and my memory is kind of suffering <laughs> these days. So. Awesome. Awesome. Um, one quick funny thing, because we every every episode we mentioned Matthew Holt and Jess DeMassa. Um, I, I actually now. got a little happy birthday song from Jess DeMassa, uh, oh, you know, as a uh, recording. He said, and I will make sure that Matthew Holt does it. So uh, he actually recorded a happy birthday song and it was fantastic. It. So kudos. We'll, we'll oh. touch on it and I'm sure they do it because I, I want to touch on one thing that was kind of crazy, like 130 million Huma. So Dan Vidat, who I've yeah. uh, been tracking from the old Medible, I will hopefully finally understand soon what they actually do. So right. maybe we should have Dan uh, on on this in a couple of weeks or whatever. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like the big, I saw the big announcement today. So that I mean, how are you finding the new, the news in general? I just find it a little bit almost mind blowing before in terms of like unpacking all the movements and what's going on in the space. And it's a perfect <laughs> segue to our guest, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, let's let him in. We uh, let's let Jonah Comstock in. So hold on. Where, you know, where is he? He's coming on. He's coming like, on. I feel like I've hung out with Jonah before. I definitely, I was looking at, you know, hey, hey, Jonah. What's up? How's it going? Jonah, <laughs> good to see you. And I love how I scare off all of our guests saying, please be on time. And they literally write on the dot. So, and then, the, you know, we'd rather hang them. Um, yeah, so <laughs> we're talking to, let's, this is professional media here. So Jonah, just so we set expectations at the right level here. There is nothing produced about this. So this is meticulously unproduced as you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm into it. Be, I'm be, of, be, really. Before we, um, yeah, you, you should be jealous of it. Yeah, I, I, I know, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that too. But, you know, before we get into, cause it was a perfect segue, right? Like we, I don't know if you've watched any of the episodes before but we kind of shoot the shit for a minute or two. And then uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, Matthew Holt and Jess gets mentioned every time with their little, you know, health two and two that we're, but we, you know, Jim was asking about how do I keep track of all this crazy ass news, right, uh, in digital health. And I said, well, it's a perfect segue. 
So maybe before we go into that, give sure. give our you know millions of listeners and viewers uh, a little bit about who you are, Jonah, and then we dive in. Sure. Yeah. So we're we're live. We we already jumped right into it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? Um, so I'm Jonah Comstock. I'm um, uh, my official title is editor in chief and director of content development at Hims Media, um, which is a long way of saying that I'm kind of the top editorial guy there. And Hims Media, if you don't know it by that name, you might know it by our brand names, Healthcare IT News, Moby Health News, and Healthcare Finance News. And Moby Health News is the one that's sort of near and dear to my heart, although of course I love all my children equally. Um, but that's that's how I came into the game. Um, I was uh, employee number, I guess, one, if you don't count the founders, at Moby Health News um, when Brian Nolan started it. I, I joined yep. in about 2012 and came into the Hims family um, through acquisition in 2015. So I kind of, you know, I started out as a reporter in this space when it was at its very kind of early in- infancy. Yeah. Now I'm an editor in this space when it's at its second super exciting time, which I think, you know, this sort of current period of, of the telehealth, the post-COVID telehealth boom is a pretty big, pretty big time. And of course, the funding right now is insane and everything like that. <laughs> so. Yeah, we were just, we just mentioned humor and I was kind of jo- somewhat joking around, but somewhat not like maybe I can fi- finally figure out what they actually do. Um, but, you know, 130 mil, 100, you know, I think uh, equity, 30, or freaking debt or something. But, but I think, you know, back to maybe uh, Jim's question, right? Like, I'm, I'm following, you know, uh, so I don't know, Jim, maybe repeat it, actually. But yeah, no, I mean, just like every, every week when I come on, so we've been doing this podcast now for a year, and every week, and at first, it was like, you know, the space has always been hot, like the digital health tech space has been hot for a while. So it's not, you know, there's always good, rich data, but it's just like, oh, did you hear the hundred million? But we feel like I can't, we can't even like get through the two or three big pieces of news. So as a professional, how the hell do you unpack the space right now? Or is it just? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) listen, unpopular opinion, funding is not the be all and end all of news making. And, um, and you know, funding is a, it's a, an indicator. It's a symptom that says, right. you know, that people are interested in the space that, you know, people who are smart are making big bets on the space and, you know, probably not all of them are smart, but <laughs> most of them I know are. Some are, um, some aren't, but. But, you know, there's always a lot of work being done outside of that limelight of funding. You know, there are companies that are quietly bootstrapping themselves. You know, there are companies that are, you know, coming in and getting the pilots and the and the partnerships and maybe not the $100 million funding round. So, you know, yeah. we try really hard to look at the big picture, you know, we and, and over the years, as the funding has become more and more of um, prominent, we've relegated more of it to these funding roundups so that we don't have to, you know, use the kind of mind share of entire stories on funding stories, unless they're really big. And even our funding stories are templated now. So we, we, you know, we minimize the effort we have to put in. We just give people the information they want. What what does it right. do? What's it going to use the money for? Who are their competitors? That kind of thing. Right. Um, so those are all kind of the steps we've taken to sort of try to put funding in its place as an indicator of right. things about the space, but not necessarily. I think some people um, some people give it a little too much credit, and that that's to the detriment of you know folks that are you know working hard 
with their own money and <laughs> and actually sure. earning money and being profitable. Sometimes this company even, doesn't have much coverage. You know, even pay. like Jonah, even taking that, you know, and perhaps I jumped into it because it just like it regulates that kind of clickbaity. You see it and you kind of react to it. Um, but is just even putting that aside, you're just saying like all the broad, amazing digital health tech news that's out there that, you know, some of it might be, hey, like a manifestation of a company with, you know, investors coming into it. But there's just going on, even if I just took this, because I was listening to one of your things, I was just listening to, you know, like what Oscar Health is up to and the data. And I'm like, and like, it's almost like everything I see, oh, that's exciting. That's interesting. I should dig into that. That's exciting. That's interesting. I should dig into that. And I'm like, you know, even stepping back, that's overwhelming. And, and I'm kind of on the inside, or I feel but, like I am. So we have but, some particular questions we try to ask, like, um, what's this company doing that's different than companies that already exist or other people have done before? Or what, you know, how much hard data is does this company have publicly available about how well their offering works? Um, right. questions like that, um, kind of try to keep, keep us grounded in like avoiding, you know, just becoming megaphones for the hype machine. And I think, you know, we're very rooted in that. That was a big thing, you know, that Brian taught me and I taught the people I hired. And so we really try to make sure we're, you know, we're cheerleaders for the space because it's an exciting space and we believe in it, but we're not, we're not cheerleaders in, in so much as we don't you know, we, we want to really make sure we're doing reality checks and gut checks and, and writing about stuff that's really important and really meaningful and matters. So we don't want to get sucked into the theranosis of the world. <laughs> if we yes. get away. <laughs> so, you know, for me, and I, you know, still echo, I still go to Moby Health News uh, or follow them on Twitter. I mean, I don't, I don't go to a website. Uh, I do explicitly go to exits and outcomes. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I love what Brian is doing. Um, I do listen to the health two and two with, you know, Jess and Matt, Matthew riffing. And I think the, the three, and then of course, there's many discussions going on. The three do help me boil those things down, right? Into a, a little bit of the noise versus, you know, the real, the real sounds coming through, right? But I, I think also, I mean, um, Jim, to your comment earlier, you know, we're in the space and sort of like what's really happening. But I don't think anybody, you know, outside of our bubble, right, um, goes to Moby Health News. Uh, and, and I don't mean our, our little bubble, but like a, the, lar the larger digital health bubble, right? Um, so, or do you think, Jonah, you're now attracting, uh, you know, I, I think Brian actually laughs about this. Like if we all had a penny that says, you know, digital health, digital needs to go away and it just helped in a digital world, right? Which I'm guilty <laughs> of as well. Um, but, you know, do you feel that you're getting the readership now, at least from Moby Health News, you know, growing outside of the bubble, like, you know, a little more mass of readers are coming? Or do you think still the circle has been expanding, but it's still within? You see where I'm going with this? I don't even yeah, know what yeah. I was going to ask. Um, there's two <laughs> ways I'll answer the question. One is, yes, we are growing. Um, our, our numbers are going up, um, you know, month to month, especially... I mean, we had multiple record-breaking traffic months during um, last year and, and this year. C-19. Yeah, now I'm, I'm scared to say it, but yeah, related to COVID. Um, but honestly, when we have a story that brings out a ton of mainstream um, attention, it's a, it's a mixed blessing for us because we are a B2B publication. And um, frankly, 
um, that, you know, mass traffic is not particularly valuable to our advertisers. They actually want to reach the, the niche audience of, of digital health. So we, we want to, you know, there's a lot of room to grow while still reaching, you know, the people that we want to reach, but we could, you know, we've never tried to be a D2C publication. We've always been a B2B publication and that goes for all three of the publications. Um, but the other thing is, Oh yeah. So just for example, um, we ended up on the front page of Reddit last month, um, mm. a, a story that one, somebody in our EU office had written about, um, about a, a uh, tech for cluster headaches um, ended up on, on the front of our tech. And then it ended up on the front page of Reddit and I'm a Redditor. So like that, that was very exciting to me. My brother, yeah. my brother who doesn't really follow my work called me and told me he saw it there. Um, and that got a ton of traffic in, but again, like that's not exactly, like, we get those from time to time. Um, in health crisis news, when we wrote about the, um, the Biden appointee, uh, who is the first trans woman in, in, um, Senate confirmed, yep. Yeah, we wrote about her and that got a ton of, of outside traffic from like not our normal readers. And there were people who were coming over from the LGBTQ publications. And like, that's great. Because some of those people will be the people we actually want and they'll tell their friends and, and it helps get our name out there. But that's not our main, that's not our main goal. You know, we want to plug away for the faithful few. Um, we want to be, you know, the resource for the digital health space or the health tech space or the health finance space, whatever it is. Um, but we're aware that we're, you know, not going to be wired or, or the New York times or anything. We're, we're fine with that. Mm. So, <laughs> you, go ahead, Jim. No, I, you know, I, what I was going to jump into, I don't know where you're going, Eugene, but like, like just this. I don't know either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we never know. The signal, to, <laughs> the signal to noise thing that you were just talking about, or we were just talking about is, so what, you know, like, like right now, like I'm fascinated, like what's, you know, what are the signals that you're picking up right now and looking across all these media platforms um, that you're seeing in digital health that maybe, you know, we're not seeing? Yeah, that's a, so I don't know. I don't know what you guys are seeing. I'm probably not going to say anything you guys don't already know, but I do think at this point in my job, I don't do much, you know, reporting. I don't get to write very many articles. And so I'm spending a lot of, I do the podcast, which is a big thing for me. We'll um, talk about that. Fellow podcaster. That's right. Yeah. But um what I really try to do in terms of keeping up with the space is to try to keep my eyes on what the big trends are, right? Um, and sometimes that's like, what's the digital health angle on the big health news story that everybody's writing? So like, we're very interested in vaccines, you know, tech and supply chain, tech and, um, you know, vaccine credentialing, stuff like that. But the more interesting stuff is like, what are the big trends uh, that kind of define our space? So the one I've been thinking about a lot lately and doing interviews about, and we actually have a new Hims TV show dedicated to this topic that's going to be coming out very soon, if it hasn't already, um, is this idea that like the last wave was telehealth. The last, you know, we telehealth is here. It's everyone knows what it is now. It's it's done. Um, but the like telehealth is a pretty rudimentary form of virtualizing care. It's basically taking an in-person visit and you know moving it into a Zoom room. So we're starting to use this term virtual care, and I don't know if it's the best term, but that's what's, you know, emerging um, right. to refer to sort of like, a, what is a holistic virtual care experience look like? It's not just a video visit. It's asynchronous communication with your physician. It's, um, you know, connected devices that are directly tracking you and, and um, algorithms that are picking out important information and sending it to your doctor. Like what we're we're kind of moving into the next step of what really like next generation connected health 
um, looks right. like. And it's not like these things haven't been like talked about or put in books or papers, you know, for the last 10 years, but like, we're really starting to see them emerge as viable, um, you know, business models and, and viable models of care. And so I think that's kind of, and I think that's the big trend right now. And I think that is honestly what's driving this huge boom in funding is this feeling that, you know, we've now conquered telehealth as table stakes. And obviously there's a caveat to that because there's a lot of telehealth that's not being done. But, you know, now we're like, what is this next paradigm? The door's wide open for it. Right. And uh, Jay Parkinson likes to say the apple of healthcare is, is already operating. We just don't know who they are yet. Uh, he thinks it's crossover. That's, but, but I mean, the, the general uh, idea. Uh, is, actually, I don't know. He just left. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't know if he yeah. did, or if he's building his next thing. We'll, we'll find out. We'll have Jay on too. I think he's just, he's just walking around with his dog. You should have him on. He's always a great interview, but he is, he's, he's great. you know, he's going to be starting his next thing before you know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, you, you know, know I saw, a, go ahead, Joe, sorry. please. I, I interrupted you last, you go ahead. Yeah, I, I will. Um, no, the, the interesting part is you said like, you know, kind of what's the next generation of virtual care? I actually, I agree. I think things are already happening, right? I mean, we've seen consolidation, right? And, and if you think about, you know, telehealth as a pipe, right? To what you kind of said, you know, as a rudimentary, we've seen the acquisitions on quote unquote content, right? And of course, you know, everybody knows the, the Televango one, right? But there's, many other conversations happening and many other deals being done to fill that, right? Um, and so I'm actually kind of curious, okay, well, that that's common sense, then what the hell is behind it even further, right? Um, so that that's where that's where like my head is a little bit, aside from health coaching and adherence, beautiful technology. So Jim. But those are going to but, be important parts, right? Because yes. that's what's so beautiful about this is all the pieces we've been writing about for these years are going to be put together. And this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a whole care package that includes virtual pharmacy and then adherence tools to make sure you actually take those drugs and health coaching tools and, um, yeah. you know, your, your uh, what do you call it, CGM and, and your virtual or artificial pancreas. And I mean, you know, it's like we've spent years building 1 million point solutions for 1 million health conditions. And now we're just, it seems like we're just finally starting to ask the question of like, how, how can you integrate this into a holistic health system? Um, yeah. So one, that's what one, one for one, 1 million for 1 million. I love it. You know, so actually, so Jonah, and that now I'm remembering because my old man memory was just kicking in. Speaking of old man, so we're, we're actually celebrating. This is the birthday episode for Eugene here this today. So you, it's, it's, you get to celebrate it with us. Happy uh, birthday. This, thank you. And, and this is why we're going to try to sort of finish in the 45 minute mark. I'll be pretty adamant today versus letting it go a bit longer. But, but actually, Jonah, so you interviewed me, and you probably did a thousand interviews that day at the at the Boston conference. Which I think right was it right? It was connected, made, old yeah, connected health conference. Yeah, the connected health conference. And I was trying. I was trying to like I saw you. I'm like I know this guy. And wait, hang on a second. We spent a few minutes together uh, going back. But um, but anyway, so I'm just connecting that as we're talking here. <laughs> but, but 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 coming back to so one of the things I saw you comment on was the you know studies that were talking about that sometimes telehealth wasn't effective you know that or there was evidence about it not being effective and and you know and i kind of you know when i when i kind of heard that or people commenting on that obviously it's good to be studying all these things in different ways but as i was so i was also thinking about like like no matter when you have change there's always going to be someone trying to put a case together 
to say, hey, you shouldn't do this obvious thing that you like. It's not the telehealth is perfect, but it's kind of an obvious tool that should be in your kind of armory of tools if you're trying to deliver healthcare. But I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, it's super interesting. So years ago, the argument against telehealth was an argument I always thought it's a thoroughly stupid argument. And I think I wrote an op-ed about how stupid I thought it was, but it was about utilization. It was saying, you know, telehealth doesn't save money because it increases utilization. And even though care is cheaper, people use more of it. And my argument against that argument was always, well, it sounds like people weren't going to the doctor enough before because it was too big a pain in the ass. And now they are like, you know, utilization, I guess I reject the idea that people are going to go to the doctor for fun because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. People are going to go to the doctor as much as they need to. And if they're suddenly doing it a lot more because you just made it easier to do, then we probably had a problem before where people weren't going to the doctor when they should. Right. Um, So that's just a little soapbox, but I think more generally, like there are objections to telehealth that have some weight, but usually they boil down to, this was poorly designed and not, not, um, not actualized well. And so it wasn't a good user experience and people didn't enjoy it. People didn't adhere to it they didn't come in. Um, I, I, you know, we always look into those studies or, or, um, you know, people who are saying, you know, telehealth doesn't work here or telehealth doesn't, isn't returning the results. And, you know, we try to be very open-minded about it, but I think it usually comes down to an execution problem. Um, but also there's going to be such there's, you know, as we move forward and I should say this because I didn't say this. And when I said what I said before about virtual care, we're never going to reach a point where there is no need for an in-person visit, right? Agreed. There always are going to be use cases where you just need to see your, your doctor face to face and hope, you know, hopefully when, you know, COVID is, is over enough that we actually will be able to see our doctor face to face when we need to. But it's all about like, right. you know, limiting that to, to when it's necessary. So, you know, maybe some of these studies are going to come out and say, we found it. The use case, the telehealth doesn't work for. <laughs> and that's great. We found it. Let's right. Make yeah, I mean, look, the combination of reimbursements for remote monitoring, telehealth, um, you know, I'll say the new novel providers like Livongo, Mata, et cetera, I think, you know, I, I love your comment again, the one million for one million, right? Um, but I, I think it is being pulled together. And, you know, if we look at um, our, uh, we should actually also have Marco on from Ping on. Um, but, you know, 300 plus million people on that telehealth platform and they've thrown in a shitload of content, right? Uh, in there, and I don't mean educational, right? Meaning just all of that. So I think, I think we're, we're there and that's why it's a little bit of like, what, what I wanted to, uh, before Jim, uh, when you again interrupted me, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, you, you started off Jonah with, um, you know, the first phase and now the second phase of digital health. How do you how do you sort of define the two and what are the major differences, right? Which I mean, I I think I know the answers, but I'm curious. Well, there are probably way more than two, honestly. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've come up with this this particular schema, um, but I think it is about like, you know, so I was talking to Jay. I had just a couple of really great conversations with Jay recently, and they're on my top of mind right now. Um, one of the things Jay, he said, Jay Parkinson, you're still talking yeah, about, right? Jay Parkinson, okay. right. Yeah. Um, he founded Sherpa and, and, you know, yeah. he, he gets a lot that he's, you know, like five years too early for things. And then he, he invents them, but doesn't make any money off of them. And, um, so we were talking about that and he was talking about how, 
you know, when he started Sherpa, um, you know, they were trying to, they were trying to create their infrastructure for ordering lab tests. And every time they went to, you know, Quest or, or um, I can't remember who the other big one Lab is. Corp. Yeah, or Whatever. Lab Corp, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, they, they basically said, you know, we have zero infrastructure for operating on anything other than a state or local level. So right. when they were building out their, you know, their anywhere telehealth platform, uh, they had to build out, you know, 50 different infrastructures for ordering lab tests, even though these are national companies that are operating in all 50 states. Right. Um, and so there's so much of like that, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you know, in the early days of digital health, nothing was done for you. You had to do everything yourself. Right. Yeah, and that right. meant a lot of things got done 20 different times, you know? Right. And that's why we had such a hard time and have had such a hard time with data standards and interoperability because everybody was innovating in silos and, and, you know, building products and it was bad for the products and it was bad for the ecosystem. Um, and I think it's not really so much a matter of phases uh, as I gradually, um, you know, gradually the um, middleman um, operating layers have emerged to sort of smooth that over. Standards have emerged to smooth that over. And um, and the other thing that's really interesting is that the talent pipeline has emerged. So it used to be, yep. if you were hiring for a digital health company, you basically said, oh, I guess I want someone with either tech background or healthcare background and I'll teach them the other half and um, hopefully they'll pick it up. But now, now it's there's a little bit so of many the digital health talent, right? Um, yeah, the talent's there. Even in journalism, we're we're finding we can actually hire digital health reporters. I mean, there's still probably a Rolodex I can count on a couple of hands, but right. you know, we're all stealing people from each other all the time. <laughs> you know, the the reusable components. There was a whole Twitter discussion with uh, our friends Chris Hogg and Joe Connolly and many others sort of chimed in. And you know, I think the point here is like you can literally stitch together a health service using the parts that to your point, Jonah, did never existed before 10 years ago, right? Um, the other piece of it is um, just like the cultural piece, right? And that awareness and acceptance. Because, um, you know, the, the other thing that those companies that were too early to the game had to deal with was they had to teach every prospective customer, much yeah. less patient, um, you know, what this whole digital health thing is and how it works and what are the advantages and and the, you right. know that shared vocabulary has become more and more um available and that makes yep. you know that allows you to focus on the particulars of your solution rather than having to educate yeah. constantly i i think you know like i like to love to pull on something you were saying before i was that is really profound talking about you know when when you study these you know like we had um uh we had people on here from Medible. Like, who did we have on from Medible? Um, Michelle, Michelle Longmire. Michelle. Yeah, yeah, Michelle yeah. Uh, from Medible. And she was talking about like the robustness of, of studies that can be done to evaluate the effectiveness of digital health technologies, right? Like, so, so they can actually, you know, the studies can be quite robust, but maybe they need to be different types of studies. But I think what you talked about is that, th that these things fail on the design, you know, and they fail in the integration or fail in the execution. And, that's my big, I don't know, Eugene, how you feel that that's my, the biggest thing I worry about when I go to implement a product, you know, they want to do a pilot, everyone wants to do a pilot, you know, but I, I go to implement a project and they want to study it right away. And then, and then they, 
impinge your execution or impinge your design or make you do something or, you know, send, you know, CSV files over instead of integrating it, all these things. And it just makes it shitty for people to, you know, run in the program. So you mean bubble gum and tape? Yeah. Bubble gum and tape. But, but actually what, you know, it's almost like, it, it's like, but the way you're studying that is so, so like I can out design the effect, right? They just can't do it in other spaces there. I'm not sure where I'm going with it, but other well, I think, I mean, that's the other problem with when you had to hire health people and tech people and tell them to talk to each other is that there, you know, we discovered, and there were a million think pieces written about this, that there, there were some very um, sharp cultural differences between those two worlds. You know, one of them was the whole tech fails fast and medicine doesn't fail because if it does, somebody dies. So, you know, how do we, how do we take a tech, you know, iteration framework and make it work in, in medicine? And another one was like, you know, the tech world people were used to dealing with a user and they made the assumption that a user was the same thing as a patient. And, and it's not, you know, as much as we like to talk about the consumerization of healthcare, a patient is a person who, you know, especially if they're, if you're interacting with someone who's interacting with the healthcare system, you know, and you're not like a direct to home service, you know, but like, a, you know, a patient is a person who's in a very specific circumstance that often is very emotional and, and, um, you know, that your, your user experience design is important in a different way and, and different. So there's just been so many, I guess, meta lessons to learn in order to actually learn the like, right. the, the really helpful specific lessons about what works. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a process. I think we've, you know, we've all watched it. And, so, and in retrospect, we say, oh, that was so obvious, but. I, uh, there's so much to unpack and I'm like looking, um, there's about, I'm, I'm, I'm time boxing us today. So 10, 15 minutes, right? And then uh, my, my younger one has a, some kind of a surprise for me. So I, I'm gonna need to go, but um, there's two topics that I wanted to cover, Jim. So one, you know, we, you know you're a fellow podcaster, Jonah, and I'm actually curious on your view on reading, right? And editing versus talking and, which I prefer, by the way, the latter. I don't like the writing part. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, like, where and how you're looking at the, the podcasting, especially for health, as a medium. That's why. Yeah. So I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, <clears throat> November 19. Um, okay. There had been many attempts at hymns to start podcasts, but um, they didn't work because people didn't grasp all of the essential things about what a podcast is. Um, you know, we all know the best practices of like you upload every week at the same time. So people know what to expect and you make sure it's on all the platforms so people can access it easily. Um, but what really inspired me to do it was, uh, listening to the 538 podcast. And, uh, that's kind of how I get a lot of my politics news or how I did at the time. Um, and what I loved about it was I also read their website. And so I was able to see how they used the podcast, um, versus how they used their articles. And um, there were a couple of things they did. One was if they had a, a reporter who wrote a big enterprise piece, they'd do an episode of the podcast where another editor interviewed them. And it was like promo for the piece and also a chance to dive a little deeper, maybe get into the things they didn't have room for in the piece. Um, the other thing was just like having the editors come together and you know do a big talk about all the 
big all the stuff that's in the news right now, which I think is a nice way to add additional trend and context. And the other thing that does is like it lets people get to know your editors as people in a way that they don't just reading their reports. And then the third one was breaking news podcasts where like, you know, something big happens, you might not have time to write the article, but you do have time to say you, 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 you know, get in a room together, let's record the podcast and put it up right away. And, you know, during election season, those were crazy. Um, and so I, I really liked this for all of those reasons. I thought, you know, this is a chance to, to build personal brands of me and my editors and, and let our readers yep. get to know these people the way I know them, not just as, you know, bylines. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, a, it's a tool in our toolbox. If something big happens and we want to respond to it and we, you know, want to take our time with the article because we want to be meticulous and get the quotes and call the people. Um, but maybe the podcast goes mm-hmm. up and, you know, that's what we did with like the Teledongo show. We put the podcast up right away and we, you know, we had... I think we had Neil Patel on, if I remember right. And just like talk about, you know, what happened? What does this mean? Um, when Proteus went yeah. back ramp, we had Brian on. That was a, one of our biggest shows um, in terms of downloads. And it actually won an, uh, an Aspie award, which is a um, small, small business awesome. press award. Um, we're, working, we're working on our award, Jim, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So like, that's my feeling. Like the podcast is like a really useful tool for a journalist to add a little bit of like personality and also this nimbleness. Um, and that's what I kind of fell in love with it. And, and it's become a huge part of my job, mostly because I just sort of launched it without asking permission. And then um, a sales eventually found out they could sell love ads it. against it. So they, they, now they like it a lot. And now they're asking me to add more. So we may be adding additional podcasts soon. I, I wonder awesome. also, like, like what's come to the front here, like well, probably for both you guys, is is this idea of like comfort. Like, you know, I remember like the, the you know, when you would pick up the magazine and you would see the editor and you might recognize their face in the corner or the back of the financial times. There was the woman that always, you know, did the back of that supplement in the financial times. I remember her, Lucy something was her name. And, and it just kind of like, it just put me into like a comfortable routine, you know, reading the paper kind of there. And then now with podcasts, I find I'm doing the same thing, especially now in the environment that we're in that I find comfort from, you know, like it's like company, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm more sensitive to what's going into my brain than I maybe was before because there's so much like, you know, video and information streaming at me, kind of hacking into me, but they're just giving people com- company. You know, it's so funny at the beginning of COVID, they said that COVID was going to kill podcasts because nobody was commuting anymore. <laughs> um, right. But instead, I think it's rejuvenated podcasts because we're all so darn lonely that being able to pipe some familiar, friendly voices and, into our house and, is a big help. Yeah. That's, um, that's why Jim and I's show is so successful, right, Jim? <laughs> it's a good format. I wanted to say, I didn't really answer your question about podcasts and health, and I wanted to, to touch on that, because I think we have seen a boom in this space, um, digital health even. And I, I think that makes sense to me, because this has always been such a community, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all have met each other at events, we see each other on Twitter, um, you know, the work yeah. that Matt and Jess have done, and, and other folks... Um, and, yeah, and I credit is... Dan Kendall, who got us going and with the Health Podcast Network and so creating that community of, I think, the Health Podcasters right. as well. Are you, are you, you guys are him's we, media? We're on stuff? Dan's network. Yeah, we joined right, uh, awesome. uh, earlier this year. So Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of connectors in this space, you know, We've come a long way from when I first started writing and it was like, uh, Paul, <laughs> what was his name? Paul's some Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was on LinkedIn. Yeah. 
yeah yeah yeah. Um, you still got a good a good group but you know there's just so much like and i mean clubhouse which i can't really get into but like i'm over it we keep talking about it i'm over it we we tried it for a while we got into it for a while although i want to go back to the other thing the i have to go back to the um the dj that was epic when i did that that we had one of our one of our guests is a uh, is a Sunday D de- as a Sunday DJ show. That yeah, we should we should. Uh, I'm I'm actually I might be going to U- US New Jersey, back to New Jersey, so we we'll do it live from uh, Ritesh Patel. He's great. I had um, um, Matthew Zachary on a while back. He calls himself a DJ. He's a big patient. Okay. He's a great, right. you guys would have a lot of fun with him as long as you don't have a swear filter on your show. Uh, I, he's a no, really we good. we market safe for kids, but I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll see so the the big big i don't know not an elephant in the room but like i think one of the things that um and i and i know uh chrissy farr had her awesome opinions on like how do you pitch to journalists right um and to me this this is personally and i think this is where chrissy was coming from and i curious on your thoughts and the approach so first of all before i go into that like all of a sudden with this DTX podcast and I think our fame, Jim, um, I've gotten actually a few of these like embargoes, like would you agree to an embargo thing, right? So I had to actually learn what the hell that means, really. Um, that's one. Well, but, you know, back to this, it's not about pitching to me, right? Um, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I loved your comment like, you know, the podcast you love because it gets, there's a person, there's a person that, you know, it's sweat, blood and tears, doing lots of research and et cetera. And just like, you don't just pitch to a VC, you build relationship, you build a relationship with people, right? So I'll pause, but I'm, I, I do want some hints for our you know, entrepreneurial uh, listeners. Like, what does it take? What's sort of some of the key thoughts and it might be somewhat personal, but in general, I'll pause. Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is that I read recently um, and I guess this is actually from, I just Googled it. Um, it's like from 2018. There are, there are now six PR people for every journalist in the United States. Um, so what? the volume of pitches that we get is insane. And uh, like, I'm a really, I, I consider myself a really nice person. And I always try to like, always interact with other people, like as people and as I would got to be treated. But a lot of emails I just don't respond to. And I, I can't even feel bad about it anymore because there's just too many. Um, uh, And sometimes when that happens, it's not personal and it's not even that your pitch is bad. It's just that, you know, a journalist has a particular beat and a particular, you know, like style thing they're interested in and it doesn't fit. Um, But I do have some go-to tips that I get to get my attention. Um, And it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show about the questions that we're always asking um, about, you know, to kind of keep us, reality check on on newsworthiness um and there are questions like how is this different than what's out there now um right and there are also you know questions about like what what hard evidence do you have for this efficacy um but also there's a place for human interest you know if you're a lot of founders in healthcare have personal stories so it's not like you know you're alone in that but the personal stories speak to people because a lot of people who read about this space also, yep. personal connections to it. So I'm, I'm, I do encourage people to include the, you know, the human interest pitch because um, I think it can be really compelling. Um, but I'm also very driven by data and very driven by novelty, uniqueness. Um, those sense. are kind of my three, 
<laughs> Those are my three tips. Um, and then the other thing is just like, and, and this is something they should teach you in PR school, but like if I'm getting that many emails, you better have gotten my attention in the subject line. And if you didn't get my attention in the subject line, you definitely better have gotten my attention in the first paragraph. I have to read any further than that. Yep. I've yep. probably already moved on to the next email in my email box. Right, right. So, I love uh, it. Fair. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip that part because I got to talk about my team. But yeah. so I think so we, we want to uh, we, we make sure we get Eugene to his birthday party celebration. And so I think, we're, Eugene, unless you add something else, we move right into the... No, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Do it. Re yeah. Relationships are still important. And um, I've been doing this job for more than eight years. Um, I have PR people that I've known almost that whole time, even though they've moved to many different you know, organizations. Um, I'm more likely to spend a little more time reading their pitch, especially if they've like taken time to get to know me at an event. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. That's how it goes. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. So if, if, if you were looking at, you know, digital health tech, you know, entrepreneurs right now, and you were thinking about, you know, what would be the, what would be the advice that you would give, you know, emerging digital health tech, tech entrepreneurs right now in, in terms of focusing on the market from everything you're seeing? Um, it's a really good question. I'm gonna take a second to figure out a good answer. <laughs> That's the journalist in him has to process. I love it. Um, I guess I, one thing I would say is, um, I'll, I'll give two pieces of advice. One is you're based on what we've been saying. Um, you know, if you can't figure out how your product or your service or your company fits into the larger ecosystem, if you can't figure out how it, you know, how it plays nice with everything else that's going on, um, you're probably going to end up where a lot of founders have ended up with a, you know, siloed product that just couldn't quite, you know, gain enough attention to share uh, to, to, to make it on the market. So, you know, think about your place in the ecosystem and what it is and what it could be. And the other thing is just do your homework you know, there are so many things that can get you, whether it's, you know, you didn't get the right FDA clearance or you didn't get the, you didn't think about reimbursement or you didn't patent something right. And, or you didn't, um, you know, you don't really have efficacy data or your efficacy data has too small a sample size, or you don't know how to get up, you know, you don't have a plan for getting a pilot. I mean, just like so many things that you've got to get right. And, um, you know, luckily, a lot of people have trod that path before you. And there's now a lot of good info out there about how to do those things. There's webinars, there's events, there's books, there's articles, there's podcasts. So, you know, just do your homework. This is not an easy space to innovate in. And I'm so excited that so many people choose to do it anyway. But yeah. don't let yourself get hung up on something you could have prevented. <laughs> Yeah, and there's lots of lessons already to to the discussions that we've had. So um, no, agreed. And talk to people. I'm going to add to this, right? Um, talk to other entrepreneurs that has been through the block. So yeah, so entrepreneurs love to help each other, even though they're all in competition with each other, which is really beautiful. I think. Hundred percent. That's that's a they're, absolutely they're kindred spirits. Um, yeah, so my, my daughter was already pinging like, you know, you're done yet. Um, Jonah, thank you for making the time, um, you know, to the millions uh, of our listeners and viewers. Just hit that subscribe button. Continue this um, rise of the shot empire and uh, we yeah. go from there.
Yeah, thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Jonah. You're, you're obviously a very nice guy. And this is our special birthday tribute <laughs> to Eugene here. Thank you so much. Uh, my podcast is Hymnscast. If your listeners want to come check it out, it's on Dan's right. Network. And um, we'd love to have you. I'm on Hymnscast app right after this. I'm going to listen to it on my bike ride home. So. All right. Awesome. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to it tonight, but I have listened to some episodes. So <laughs> cheers to that. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Guys.